Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone, I am here with Sakib Sheikh. Sakib is a software engineer and lead for the Seeing AI project at Microsoft. Sakib, welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. Hi, thank you very much for having me. Pleasure to be here. I'm really excited about this conversation and learning more about the Seeing AI project. I've seen some demos and it is very, very cool and a wonderful use of AI. Let's start by having you share a little bit of your personal story and how you came to get involved with this project. Sure. So I've always been into tech since I was a kid. I studied artificial intelligence at university before it was, you know, I remember my professor saying that neural networks were, you know, could never get a job doing that. So <laughs> I need to look back on that. But at Microsoft, I think my journey with seeing AI started about five years ago at the very first hackathon. I was working on search engines and related things, but I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could use emerging technologies like deep learning to describe what's around you? And so put together some prototypes using research from around the company. And that project really snowballed. So that first year, we made a little app. But then more and more people heard about it. My colleague, Anurud Kaulin in Silicon Valley and many of the other friends around the world all started chipping in and we started forming a team and we did another hackathon. And eventually we got in front of the head of research and ultimately the CEO. So what's amazing about this is sort of it's a project that started just as an idea for a hackathon through to something that we're in front of the CEO that has involved, I know, maybe 30 plus people around the company. So we got to show our prototype at the Build Conference in 2016. And that was sort of when it became my day job and we started working on the iPhone app. And I should explain more about what it is. So I myself am blind and I want to see how can we use AI to empower people like me who are blind to do more. So that's why we're looking at computer vision, describing the world around you. So tell us about the app. How would you describe it to folks who haven't had the opportunity to use it or, or take a look at any of the demos? Absolutely. So it's an iPhone app, which describes sometimes as a talking camera. So you just hold up your phone, point it at something, and it'll start reading out loud. And it has these different modes or channels you can switch between to tell you different things, whether that's reading the information in front of you, like maybe you have some envelopes and you're going through the mail in the morning and instantly start reading. But it can do face recognition, it can detect objects. And then there's sort of experiences around each of these which are tailor-made for someone who's blind. And I can go into more into functionality, but yeah, there's so much more recognizing currencies a barcode detector that helps you line up the phone to take a good photo. And then we've recently even started looking into some augmented reality experiences where it will announce the objects around you using object detection, but then it is actually using the iPhone 12's LiDAR to position that in 3D space. And so with spatial audio, you can hear where things are. Mm. 
I'm curious, how has it evolved from that first hackathon to now? What was the MVP, so to speak? I think the MVP was literally just like gluing together a few algorithms, like, you know, off-the-shelf OCR, some research on image captioning, and so forth. And then from that, it became this conversation with the blindness community, seeing like, what are the daily challenges people face? And then how do we bring together the latest AI research from Microsoft to solve some of these problems? And it's a really interesting space where you find that as you're looking at these real-world use cases, often it's not as clearly defined as just having a data set and a metric, which is what you might normally have in when developing an ML model. So you find actually, you know, it's all about how the user is interacting with the system. And in the very early days, even people who are blind might not even be familiar with cameras on a smartphone and how to hold the phone and so forth. So that was the very early days. But yeah, it's progressed a lot since then. But it's fundamentally been that conversation between users on the one side and Microsoft scientists and researchers on the other side. Mm. Uh, let's talk about some of the technologies that enable the various features. What are the core machine learning technologies that are used in the application? For the most part, a lot of it is your convolutional neural networks, whether that be for object detection or image captioning or OCR or text recognition. Those are sort of the key ones, uh, face recognition. And then we have other models as well, for, like I said, for currencies and products. So it's really um, a series of specialized models for each of the use cases and scenarios put together with an experience that allows the user to say what they're interested in at this moment and pulling this together in real time. So all our models are compressed to run on device in just a few milliseconds to give that smooth experience. And are you using on-device models as opposed to cognitive service for their offline ability and, and not having to rely on the internet connection? Exactly. It's a, it's a hybrid. So with a on-device model, you've got the real-time feedback, you've got privacy, etc. But then the um, cognitive services is incredible because it has a whole range of APIs available, which are running these really powerful world-class models. Like look at something like text recognition or image captioning, they definitely have to run on incredibly powerful machines in the cloud. So where appropriate, we use cognitive services and the large models in the cloud. The other times we're using services like custom vision AI for training in the cloud and then compressing and bringing local. Mm. You mentioned that something to the effect of the user telling the app or specifying via the app what they want to do, does that translate to the user essentially very explicitly selecting a model that is applied to whatever's in the, the current scene? Or do you use ideas like detection and, and ensembles and things like that to figure out what's in the scene and apply the right model automatically? Uh, right now, it is uh, user controlled via the UI, but we've done a bunch of experimentations with, as you say, can we have some kind of detector classifier to understand what's going to be interesting right now? And quickly, we realized that when you have the human in the loop, it's really this idea of 
can we know what the user intent is? And that turns out to be a much harder problem. If you're pointing at a person, are we interested in their identity or the color of their top or the text that's on the wall in the background or the product they're holding? So what we found in user studies is, in theory, that's a great idea. But when you're wrong, which such a system tended to be quite a bit, um, mm -hmm. it's incredibly frustrating. So we've opted for giving the user much more fine-grained control, but that's still an area I'm very interested in. Mm -hmm. And I guess the other end of that spectrum is to attempt to read out everything that's in the scene at a given time, but you quickly, I guess, realize how complicated scenes are or, you know, conversely, how sophisticated our vision systems are at narrowing in on particular things. Right. And I think that's an area that we'd like to go in the future where could you recognize everything? And then, for example, like I said, we have really great image captioning technology right now, but maybe in the future, can we give the focus like this is the area of interest and let the user regenerate descriptions based on their question. There's the whole field of visual question answering, visual dialogue systems, which are for our use case still very early on, but exciting possibilities there for the future where, where the user can interactively query and specify what's interesting to them. Mm -hmm. in, in evolving the application to allow the users to specify these things. I'm curious if there are principles you've learned from a user experience perspective that you think are applicable to other applications. A big part of this that we've learned is we talked a bit about models on device versus in the cloud. And so part of this is we use much smaller real-time models, which can run in, you know, say 10, 20 milliseconds to be able to give guidance to the user to, for example, hold the phone correctly, point it at something, to understand what they're pointing at, and then the much more powerful cloud models to be able to give much, much richer information than we could do on device. So that's one aspect of this. I'm thinking what else. In terms of these natural experiences, I think it's also, as we've already discussed, that how do you put the user in control and it's not about telling the user what to do, but detecting what's in the environment and being able to convey that back. Mm -hmm. Maybe give us some examples of the way the user controls the application. Totally. And again, I can talk a bit about the app as it lives today, but we could also get into sort of maybe a bit more vision of where such technology could go. So we have real-time guidance in every part of the app. So, you know, maybe you're pointing it at a document and it's going to help you understand where are the edges of this document so that you can take a well-framed photo. Or if we're scanning a product based on barcode, that's quite simple. But if you don't know where the barcode is, then identifying where that is, we have a model running on device which beeps faster and faster the closer you get, the more confident we are of seeing the barcode. And so maybe there are these techniques that the user might use of holding the phone further away and then zooming in, keeping the beeps in, in focus so that you get a, a really good snapshot. And then once we detect enough, then we can 
do the recognition with another model. Hmm. Yeah, but a bunch more examples like that. Got it. And I should mention that we will include links to the app itself as well as some of the demonstration videos of the apps in use. One that struck me as really interesting was a video that showed essentially a person coming into a meeting type of scenario and the app was essentially describing the the number of people in the in the meeting and like their facial expressions is that a a specific use case for the app it is again it's cool just how many different ways the users are using the app like one of my favorites similar to that conference room scenario is we had a teacher who was using the face recognition he'd mounted the phone on a tripod and he could read in braille as the students enter the classroom. So it's recognizing who's coming in and displaying their names silently. So that's just really cool. And I love hearing those stories from my users, whether it's the teacher in that case, or someone just sorting out their mail or putting away their groceries or using it to to get their job done. But going back to the conference room scenario, I really imagine that the way this technology is going to evolve, we started looking at augmented reality, where you're not just looking at a single frame, but can you actually run ML models over continuous frames? And instead of just 2D, can we project that into 3D based on, say, depth information we receive? And I have this vision of an assistive agent who knows about the world around you, who knows about your needs, whether that's someone who's blind or someone who has another disability or, you know, just someone who has a particular situation like the sun in their eyes or a noisy environment. So with each of us being different, I kind of imagine you'll have this agent which can understand what your needs are right now and who understands the world around you and is the intermediary to that. Do you see the technology landscape that would support something like that to be you know, based on the the types of technologies that you're currently using in that, you mentioned, you know, CNNs and various services, or do you think that realizing that vision pushes you in a, a totally different direction? I think it's incremental, like the revolution comes in many, many steps. So mm-hmm. if if we look at it right now, building that world state of everything around you, right now the tools in our toolbox are things like, you know, object detection, for example, or recognizing people and so on and so forth. But what we find is these models are trained on very much perfect data from these perfect data sets. So there are many different directions we can push the technology because we have this community of users who are very early adopters because they have so much to gain from this tech. By building solutions for this audience, we can push the tech forward for everyone. And so can we create a better models for recognizing real-world photos, photos taken by someone who's blind or even video frames, I should say, where it's not perfectly framed, where there maybe there's more motion, more blur. And there's some great projects like the VizWiz project from University of Texas, Austin, where they are taking photos taken by people who are blind and working on tech to specifically caption those images which is quite different to the perfect ones. And Mm -hmm. that's just one example. 
Another interesting project is from City University and Microsoft Research, where they are collecting a data set of training videos of objects taken by people who are blind. And again, the idea here is that if we can create personalized models, then we can recognize the things that are of specific interest to each user. Because right now, if you have these large data sets, then they're quite generic. But actually, the things that are in your house that are interest to you, or even from one country to another, are going to require much more diversity than the large-scale data sets. So that's a really interesting project to have this data set that eventually train new algorithms which will recognize your personal objects. I imagine that a lot of the biggest challenges that you face in delivering the application today are not all too dissimilar from, you know, some of the challenges you just described in, you know, that you expect to see in building out this future vision of the application. And that is the difference between the kind of perfect data set and, you know, what the application might be capturing at any given time. What are the the key technical challenges for today's app? So for today's app, I think it's things like knowing the confidence of what the system is recognizing. So given a particular frame, you might detect some objects, but how do you convey to the user how sure we are of this? And, you know, a model will give you a confidence value, but that on its own probably isn't enough. So that's one of the challenges is conveying to the user when you should totally trust the system and when this is our best guess. Because often you find actually that the best guess is good enough. In the beginning, we thought, you know, we must always be right. We can't afford to be wrong. But then people tell us that, you know what, if we have an image caption that is not perfect, but I remember what location and day this photo was taken, it's often good enough for me to remember what's going on in this photo. So mm-hmm. that was a really interesting insight where even if the AI isn't perfect, you really need the AI to give the human enough so that that partnership works together. And so in this case, how do you do that? Do you do that using language? You know, is the AI saying things like, I think that's a car, that might be a car, as opposed to making more certain statements? Or are you reading out likelihoods? Or how do you solve that problem? Right now, it's... Again, different scenarios, different solutions, but definitely one part of it is uh, changing the language. Like, you know, it seems to be this or it might be this and conveying that with the language. And then part of it is also just education for the users overall that, hey, something like image captioning is getting a lot better all the time. And it's really remarkable what it can do. But right now, view this with a sense of skepticism. If you didn't think there were, like, you know, a good example is someone said they that the system detected another person in the room. And it turned out that that was probably a picture on a book or maybe a photo frame where it's detecting, yeah, a person in an object rather than a real person. So there is a certain element of requiring skepticism of the system. And so this is a, there's an element of education around that. Yeah, this is super interesting. I'm wondering if you've ever come across any formal research that talks about ways to convey degrees of certainty via language? 
Um, I haven't seen anything exactly like that. There is some interesting research done by a colleague in Microsoft on how much they trust these systems. So one of the things you can do with seeing AI is take a photo from a different app, for example, Twitter. And so we find that when you're going through your Twitter feed and there's an image that someone hasn't added the alt text for, then you can get the AI to describe what's in that image. And sometimes the tweet will contain some text, but sometimes it won't, or it's a meme, or people seem to build their own narratives around what could be this in this image. Like, oh, it says it's quite generic, like, you know, a person standing in a room. But if that person is a famous celebrity, they'll have quite different connotations. So that was a fascinating piece of research around how people build up these explanations of sort of making excuses for the AI almost. Mm. And so that's something we're always looking to make sure that people know that, you know, the human's always in the driver's seat and the technology serves them to increase their awareness and understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've referenced uh, in discussions on the podcast previously, as well as with in my interviews with her, Ayanna Howard is a, a robotics researcher who's now Dean of Engineering at The Ohio State University. But she's done some really fascinating research on this authority relationship between humans and robots and how it tends to prompt us to trust them more than we should in, in many situations. It's interesting to think about how that changes in the context of an app versus a, a robot. Yeah, this, I, I want to look that up. Like, this is totally what we found as well, that people can be just too trusting of the system. And I feel that in all our experiences, we have a responsibility to convey that level of uncertainty. And it's like, there are lots of small techniques for this. One of them is, I say, descriptive, not prescriptive. So describe what's going on what, and let the user think about what they should do next rather than telling them what to do. And a very, very simple example of this is lining the phone up to take a picture of a document. So a sighted person might use the, sorry, they might have lines which you've got to put the document inside the rectangle, but you can't do that if right. you're blind. And in our first prototype, we are like, oh, we're going to be like personify the app. We're going to pretend like, you know, we're going to give you instructions like move left, move left, move away, move away. But then you find that people stop thinking. Like they just follow the instructions because the computer knows best. Whereas when you say top left corner not visible, you're suddenly telling the user what is being perceived. And now it's up to the user to use all their skills and all their knowledge from the past to to correct and to line up. And we just found it was incredible. Like when you say move left, they just, without thinking, move way too far left. And then you'd end up saying move right. And it just become very annoying. Whereas when you're giving information, you're kind of also inviting the user to, if you know better than the system, ignore the system. And, you know, these are what the system sees, but you are in control. And that's a really simple example, but that's something we then build in into every experience. I love the idea that not only is that creating a better experience for the user and making them more successful with the app, but it's also teaching them or training them to have a better relationship with technology in general, right? It's empowering them more broadly to think about their relationship with what these quote unquote opaque boxes are spitting back at them. 
Yeah, that's a really nice way to put it and think about it. And I think the industry as a whole is going through this where if I think five years ago, there was this big idea of, I still use the word agents, like assistive agents, but back then it was very much like, wow, we're going to have these agents which are like people who are going to be the people telling us what to do or assisting us with everything. Whereas moving away from personifying AI to AI as a tool. And I think that's really healthy and important where if we see AI as just more advanced tools, then yeah, I think that's way better than the sort of metaphor of personifying AI. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what you're seeing on the research horizon that will, you think, support what your vision is for seeing AI. I think meta-learning is definitely one interesting area where it allows us to do more interesting object detections, etc., by personalizing it for the user. So if you need much less data, then instead of having the big data sets, that should unlock possibilities. And colleagues in MSR are working on this, Microsoft Research, where, mm. yeah, instead of hundreds or thousands of photos, can we maybe just take a few videos and recognize something that's specific to your scenario. So I'm quite interested in that. And then, of course, reinforcement learning is commonly used in robotics. But down the road, I'm very interested to know, can we learn human behaviors and use that to, with appropriate rewards, to guide an AI system to helping you accomplish a task? Well, what's an example of how that might play out in the, the context of this app? I'm trying to think of a, the, the best example here, but let's suppose there's some task you want to accomplish, like trying to pick a good one. But let's say find an empty chair. We can do that by doing object detection and finding chairs, finding people, you know, chairs of the people. But could you use some like reinforcement learning where it's like in a computer game, you have the agent observing what you're doing and observing successful ones and getting a reward when you successfully find the chair and find a chair without a person. And it's just a different way of framing the problem. And it's very early, but I'm intrigued by this idea of building systems where the AI can learn the correct behavior. And then we have experiences which guide the user through that. Mm -hmm. What are some of the kind of immediate next steps for you with seeing AI? How do you get to the vision that you've outlined? Are there specific features that you're working on now? Yes. So one of the most recent things we launched was what we call the world channel. So you switch between different channels. And in the world channel, we're doing object detection. And with the iPhone 12's LiDAR, we're placing things in 3D and sort of forming this spatial audio soundscape around you. So you can place, say, a beacon on a door. By beacon, I mean a virtual beacon. And a user said, hey, this is great because not only can I hear where the door is, I can place an audio on that door and walk through it without having to touch it. And we're going to be expanding that to building up more and more of this 3D world understanding. Can we enable you to interact with the objects in your environment, to interact with other people in your environment? And I feel there's a whole new area there which takes us sort of in the direction around that vision, though, again, it's a long road. And then also looking at areas like indoor navigation, again, with a, this 3D augmented reality experience, can we record where you're going, where you need to go? Can we place these more 3D audio sources to guide you along the route, for example? So yeah, 
to me, this is the next little phase is combining augmented reality, computer vision, and spatial audio to be much more real-time in-world experiences. Hmm. One of the uh, rumors that's out there is that Apple is going to be releasing Apple glasses or eyeglasses, whatever you, you want to call them. It seems like that kind of form factor could have interesting implications for your app and users. Is that something that you think about or are interested or excited about? Yeah, very, very, very much so. Since our first prototype, our first prototype was a phone sellotape to, um, taped to your forehead. But beyond, <laughs> <laughs> but beyond that, since that build conference vision video we had with the CEO, that was on a pair of smart glasses. And, you know, we've been waiting for a affordable, consumer-ready pair of smart glasses. And I think we're getting closer and closer. And whether it's Apple, whether it's someone else, we're continually seeing, can we take this from the phone, and the, which is the perfect form factor because everyone has a smartphone. Can we take that to a wearable that ticks all the boxes, is affordable and available? So watching that space to see what different companies come out with. Are you aware of any attempts to try to do that outside of the kind of the big companies like Apple? Uh, I'm trying to think through if building something that's a little bit more, you know, custom fit to purpose and specifically as an assistive device, as opposed to a generalized phone with a generalized operating system, you know, if that narrows the scope of the problem in such a way that makes it easier or more cost effective. Is, is anybody working on that? There are some products like glasses, which run computer vision. But then the problem is you don't have the economy of scale. And as a result, they're much more expensive and actually you less capable. So you mm -hmm. look at a company like these days, all about custom silicon. So a company has the economy of scale of the mainstream product can make something that's far more affordable and also can do things like add custom silicon, like uh, the iPhone can run these uh, embedded machine learning models, on-device machine learning models, incredibly, incredibly fast with the GPU or the neural processing unit. Right. So that's where I'm kind of leaning to, let's wait until these things are mainstream, because then you can really take advantage of, of all of that capability. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that the models that you use are kind of typically classical CNNs and you train them and then compress them for the device. Are you doing anything novel or, or specific to your models to compress them or are you using kind of standard compression techniques? Um, pretty fairly standard. So like I say, either we're using the big cognitive service models or else the Microsoft has custom vision, which lets you, it's like an auto ML solution. And from there, we can just convert to core ML or train our own models using Keras, TensorFlow, those kind of things in other cases. Mm -hmm. So yeah, all pretty standard stuff. Got it, got it. I'm curious if you would comment on your broader vision for ML and AI supporting communities of users that have disabilities or could benefit from solutions like what you've done with uh, Seeing AI? I think Seeing AI is sort of one really cool example, but there's so many other applications. And if you think bigger picture, there's this long history of people with a 
problem, like people with disabilities coming together with someone who can innovate and create the solution, leading to these groundbreaking inventions. And if you think of, I know, like the telephone or audiobooks or the on-screen keyboard or even the iPhone touchscreen, speech recognition, speech synthesis, optical character recognition, text messages, these are all technologies which have their roots in some story of solving the challenges of someone with a disability. And so in the same way, with seeing AI and other projects, I'm looking at how do you find these really hard problems, but then also use that to drive the solutions because people with disabilities can drive the innovation by being the early adopters because they have so much to gain. So yeah, behind each of those technologies I mentioned, there's a fantastic story. Like I know Ray Kurzweil early in his career was sitting next to a gentleman on an airplane and he said, you know, if I could invent anything for you to help you, what would it be? And he said, oh, the ability to read books and skip forward a few years. And he had the Kurzweil reading machine, which could do OCR and text-to-speech and so forth. So yeah, this idea of disability driving innovation I think it's something that's very much still alive today. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Sakib, thank you so much for taking the time to share a bit about what you're up to and introduce us to the Seeing AI project. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking. Same. Thank you. All right, everyone. That's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit twimmelai.com. Of course, If you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit twimmelai.com. Of course, If you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.